All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, one of you did. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Um, Thanksgiving is one of the greatest holidays um, in all of the world. Um, it, it just kind of dawned on me, like, out of nowhere, just in a weird way, you know, that, like, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in other parts of the world, which is what makes America the greatest country in the world, right? America, come on. Um, I mean, wh- what other day, you know, does, does God in heaven look down and, and just kind of give us a free pass for the sin of gluttony? I mean, it's, you know, it's like we get a, we get a get out of jail free card one day a year, and that's Thanksgiving. So I hope you guys ate until you couldn't feel feelings anymore. I hope you had a great time with your families, um, you know. And so appropriately, we're wrapping up our series on church zombies today because, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of zombiness that happens after all that tryptophan and the turkey kicks in and, you know, you, you go around like the walking dead. So it's an appropriate weekend for us to be concluding our church zombie series. Let's go ahead and I want to give you one more chance. Let's stand to our feet. Um, I always love how people on stage say, stand to your feet, because, like, what else could you stand to, you know? But um, we're going to be concluding our series, and I just want us to stand. One last chance to kind of stretch the legs. You know, it's, it's a, a holiday weekend. You know, it's kind of cold and rainy outside. It's a little cold in the church, and it's a good chance for us to just kind of stretch as we honor the Word of the Lord. We're going to be in a couple of different scriptures today, so I just want to read these up front. Our key scripture for the Church Zombie series has been out of Isaiah chapter 11, Uh, verse 2. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what this series has been all about. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is this? We're kind of trying to demystify the Holy Spirit. It may seem like this kind of, you know, nebulous, spooky almost thing. What is the Holy Spirit? So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, especially as it relates to how the Holy Spirit was on the person of Jesus. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was prophesying about Jesus when he said this in Isaiah 11, verse 2. He said, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. This is what we're going to be talking about today, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, we're going to ju- also be jumping over into the New Testament. Our correlation into the life of Jesus is going to be in Matthew chapter 26. And this will be uh, Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download one on your smartphone. You can go to corechurch.com to do that, uh, download some great Bible apps. Or if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free Bible uh, right out here in the next steps room after service. Come see me. I'd love to place a free Bible into your hands. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to the Olive Garden called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went a third time to pray, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Nothing says thanksgiving like the story of the crucifixion. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this chance we have, God, as we come before you to hear from your word today. Lord, we just ask right now, God, that, that your spirit would just begin to uh, make us receptive to what you'd want us to say, what, what you want to say. 
And God, that we would open up our hearts to you. And Holy Spirit, that through the power of your word, through the power of the word of God, our lives would be forever changed. And if you want your life to be forever changed, in Jesus' name, will you give me a big amen? amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Nothing says Thanksgiving like the story of the crucifixion. Love it. All right. Um, so any video game people in the house? Just kind of curious. Any, any gamers? Show of hands. Uh, make some noise. Press A. Start button. Anything. Um, so I was, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not much of a gamer now. But, um, you know, like, like most um, kids growing up in, you know, in America, it's like I love video games growing up. I had my first video game console system was the Atari. You guys remember the Atari Pong uh, there was that racing game that I remember. Atari was the best control system. It had the joystick and the red button. You guys remember that? The joystick and the red button. Man, I would mash that red button until, like, my thumb was, like, you know, purple, you know, trying to get my car to go faster and all that. So I had an Atari, but my life was forever changed when they came out with the Nintendo Entertainment System, NES, NES, it's like the, it's like the NLT, NIV, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, man, Mario, Super Mario Brothers 3, you know, Metroid, I mean, the, like games that, you know, forever changed a young man's life, you know, it kept me from having to like go outside and experience the outdoors, experience athletics, didn't need any of that. I had my video games, amen, you know, and so I, I had a video game system growing up, you know, and through teenage years, I had a, I had a PlayStation, it kind of fizzled out after that, which is, you know, probably, probably a, a good thing, you know, that, that I, I didn't carry it on. Man, video games nowadays, they are crazy how realistic video games now, are. and, and you, even if you're not a gamer, you've seen video game commercials, and you think you're watching like a movie trailer, and then you find out it's actually a video game. Like our bass player, Tim, whose son got baptized this morning. We, we've been talking about uh, the new Batman Arkham Asylum game. Now, I don't have, um, you know, a PS4, so I, I, don't, I don't experience this firsthand. But he's telling me about it, and I've seen videos. I mean, it looks like the Stinking Dark Knight movies. I mean, it looks just like the, the movies now. It's so realistic. And I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to, like, re- tell my, my daughters, like, when they get older, if, if they play video games, like, what video games were like, Back in the day, you know, it's like, Olivia, honey, back in the day, we used to have a giant dot that went around eating other dots in a maze, but you had to be careful because ghosts would chase you, Woo, you know, and it's like, she's going to look at me like, what are you talking about, old man? You know, because video games have just gotten so realistic, and you know, I, like I said, I wasn't, thank goodness, very good at, um, at, the, at video games. You know, my problem with video games was I would only learn like the one move. And um, so like, especially like in fighting games, you know, like if any of you guys like played Street Fighter or, or if you're heathens and you played Mortal Kombat, you know, um, you know, it's like I knew the one move, you know, it's like I knew the get over here, you know, and then like how to punch. And that was it. And I would work that one move un- until, um, you know, I'd get to the level where I couldn't, I couldn't beat it because I only knew one move. Or like when, when I played Madden, you know, it's like I had, I had Madden, like old school Madden, like back on an original PlayStation, you know, so it's like just a bunch of pixelated dots that kind of moved on a football field, nothing like the, the video games today. But, you know, it's like I only had the one play that I knew how to run. It's like halfback toss left, halfback toss right. And that was all I knew how to do. And so it was cool, you know, like if I had the game set on rookie, you know, if I had the game set on real easy, but if I ever increased the difficulty level, the, the computer intelligence would, um, would quickly catch on, and I could never beat 
any of the teams that are, or, you know, if I, like, had the neighbor kids over or something like that, I was playing against some of my friends or, like, a, you know, five-year-old or something like that, they would mop the floor with me because I only knew how to do the one thing. So because I never mastered, like, any of the fundamentals of the game, I didn't learn, you know, how to do other plays in math. I didn't learn how to do any of the other moves in the fighting games. You know, I, I would get to a certain point, and then I couldn't go past that point. I would get stuck. I would get to a certain level, and I could not go past that level. I would get stuck. I would get to a certain boss. I couldn't get past it. I would get stuck, and I couldn't get further along in the game. Well, I think a lot of times in our spiritual journey, we experience some of this same thing. We start off very strong. We come out of the gate on fire. We come out, man, and when you give your life to Christ, there is that initial You're taking off, man, and you are doing things. You are kicking butt and taking names. You know what I'm talking about? You are defeating the levels at a rapid pace, man. You open up your Bible, and it is like that thing was written just for you. Every verse is rich. Every verse has truth. It speaks right to where you're at in your life. You spend time in prayer, and it is like there is an open heaven right over where you're praying. It's like you are talking. Like God is in this chair, and you and God are just chatting, and you're talking, and it's rich, and you feel like you spend that time in prayer, and you know it's it's not wasted time and it's rich and it's fulfilling and God's talking to you and you're talking to him and you come to church, man, and every song that the worship team sings, it's like, oh man, this is exactly what I feel right now and you're just worshiping God and you're going after him and and you get involved, maybe you get involved in a serving team, maybe you go back and you start serving in kids. And, and even as you're serving in kids, man, you're, you're back there and, and you're teaching these kids a story. But God's speaking to you through that story at the same time. Like, oh, I can't believe that I'm learning so much back here. And I'm getting a chance to pour into the life of these kids. And you're like, why doesn't everyone do this? You get a chance to give. And you're like, oh, how could I not give? Because God has given so much to me. And you come out of the gate on fire. You're kicking butt. You're getting past all the levels. You're beating, the, you're beating up the devil. You're taking names, man. You are on fire. And you're like, why isn't everyone like this? Your life is fulfilled, your your spiritual life, man, you're just going, going, and then all of a sudden, you get stuck. You hit a wall. You plateau. You're, you're, You're doing this, and then all of a sudden, it just starts to straighten out. Something happens, maybe an event, maybe a change of life, or something happens where all of a sudden, the, the things that became, were once rich and fulfilling, the things that were once came easy, the things that you once did without even thinking about, the things that you once got so much fulfillment and enjoyment out of, they, they, just, they don't have that same effect anymore. And you just, you start straightening out, your prayer life starts straightening out, your serving life, your giving life, your, your devotional life, it all just starts to straighten out and you begin to get stuck. And there's actually a, a little test that I think we can run to, to know whether or not we're stuck spiritually. And it's a, it's a, a simple one-word test that, that we can use. And I think it's a Greek word or, or something. I, you know, I did some deep study, and I want to bring you the deep stuff here. And anytime you use Greek or original language, that's how you know a pastor's doing deep stuff. You know, so we want the deep stuff today on a holiday weekend. So the word that I think we can use to know whether or not we're stuck is this word, meh. Meh. And, and here's what, M-E-H, meh, if you're writing it down. And here's what I mean by that. Is, is if you know you're stuck, is if you can attribute this word, it's like, hey, how's your prayer life? Meh. It's all right. It's good. It's not bad. Meh. It's all right. Hey, how, how's your Bible time going? How's your, how's your God time going? Meh. It's, it's good. It's good. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what do you, man, what do you think about church today? Meh. It's, it's good. You know, say, meh. It's, it's all right. Yeah. Church. It's good. Hey, man, what, do you know, what, how, if you really ask, what do you feel about Jesus? What do you feel about the things of God? Meh. Meh. It's good. 
Good. I love God. Yeah. Good. It's good. Meh. Meh. Stuck. Stuck. I'm talking about, it's, it's, it's just all right. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just, meh. it's just all right. And, and, and I think deep down, some of us, man, you, you feel that. You feel like, I've gotten this far, but, but I, don't know, I don't know how to get further. I don't know how to get further on in my walk with God. And, and see, here's the dangerous thing. The things that get stuck in our lives, the disciplines, the spiritual habits, the things that get stuck in our life, the things that get stuck in meh, the things that get stuck there, those are the things that we stop doing. And those are the things that eventually die within our life. When your prayer life gets stuck in meh, when your prayer life gets stuck and it's just okay, after a while, guess what? You stop having a prayer life. When your Bible reading time gets stuck in meh, when your Bible reading time gets stuck in it's a, after a while, you stop reading the Bible. And so this is the danger of living stuck. This is the danger of living halfway. This is the danger of living in it's okay, it's all right, it's not good, it's not bad. This is the danger of it, is that after a while, the things that are stuck in meh, you're not going to do them anymore. You're going to stop, and those things are going to die in your life. And so here's the thing. When we get stuck, the thing is we think we need more knowledge. Remember, we're talking about knowledge, the Holy Spirit giving us knowledge. We think we need more knowledge to get unstuck. We think, you know, if I go to this conference, I can get unstuck. If I read this book, I can get unstuck. Some people even leave a church and go to another church because they say, I need deeper teaching to get unstuck. I need, I need someone that can, you know, open up and, and go through the body. You know, I, I, need, I need deeper teaching to get unstuck. We think we need more knowledge to get unstuck. See, the thing is, a lot of times we think, if I knew how to Whatever it is, if I knew how to blank better, if I knew how to pray better, if I knew how to read the Bible better, if I knew how to study the scripture better, if I knew how to intercede, if I understood kingdom finance better, if I knew how to do this, then I would do it. If I had a better understanding of this principle, then I would do it. If only I knew more about prayer, if only I knew more about reading the Bible, if only I knew more about this, then I'll do it. We kind of, it's so easy for us to get in this. I need more knowledge in order to do the things I'm not doing mindset. But here's the thing. The lack of knowledge is not our issue. The lack of knowledge is not the reason we get stuck spiritually. And I want to prove that to you. If you, if you do a, a search right now on Amazon and you put in diet book in your search line, there are over 100,000 results that will come back for diet books on Amazon right now. Well, you know what? I can sum up all 100,000 of those diet books by eat, eat right and exercise. There. I just, I just saved you 100,000 books worth of research. Eat right and exercise. If you want to lose weight, guess what? Don't get the supersized fries at McDonald's. You know, don't eat the Big Mac. Get a salad every once in a while. You'll start to drop some I've just summed up the diet. We already know this. There's, all, there's tons and tons of personal finance books available. How to manage your money, how to build wealth, how to do Well, you know where personal finance starts? Spend less than you make. Amen? Personal finance starts with spend less than you make. Don't go deeply in debt to buy stuff that you don't need to impress people that you don't know or you don't like. 
There, that's personal finance summed up in a nutshell. See, the thing is, we, we look for all this knowledge, we look for all this extra stuff to do and to put on top of it. We think if I understood this principle better, if I could understand this a little more, if I had more knowledge, then I would do it. But the thing is, there's knowledge that we already have. There's things that we already know that we're not doing. See, and the same thing happens within the church. Spirituality and our growth spiritually, it's the same thing. Spiritual growth can be summed up into just some real simple things. Man, show up at church. Show up at church, and when you're at church, worship God through your time, talent, and your treasure. Share your faith. Share your, help lead someone into a commitment to Christ. Man, live in community with God and God's people. Love the world through compassion. By the way, those are our four core values. You know, if you do those four things, man, you're going to grow in your faith. And we all know that intrinsic. We all kind of, if you're a Christ follower here, you kind of understand that those things are apply. See, we know what to do. Man, we know we need to pray. We know we need to be in the Bible. We know we need to give. We know we need to serve. We know that we need to do those things, but, but isn't the truth that things come up, and man, man we start making excuses, and, and then, you know, something happens. Man, we have a change of lifestyle. We have a change of season. We get busy. We get tired. This thing happens. This thing happens. All of a sudden, we get stuck, and man, those things that once were self-fulfilling, those things that once brought life and brought joy and brought satisfaction to our soul, all of a sudden, they get stuck, and they start flatlining. They start plateauing out, and the things that get stuck in man, we stop doing, and the things we stop doing get stuck, and it just creates this vicious cycle where all of a sudden, our prayer life and our Bible study life and, and, our, and our God life is on life support because it's stuck and it needs resuscitation. See, the thing is, church, I want to submit this to you, that we don't have a lack of knowledge issue. We don't have a knowledge issue. We have an obedience issue. John Maxwell put it this way. He said, most Christians are educated beyond their obedience. Most Christians are educated beyond their obedience. See, could it be that our issue is not that we don't know enough, but that we don't do enough with what we know. Could it be that it's not your problem, the reason why you're not growing your faith, isn't that you need some new revelation? Isn't that you need some new piece of knowledge? Isn't that you need some new exposition on the word of God? Could it be, it's not that you don't know enough, it's that you're not doing enough with what you already no. And you say, well, time out, Daniel. Hang on a sec. I, I thought we just read in Isaiah that the Spirit wants us to gain knowledge. Didn't we just read that? The Spirit comes to give us knowledge. Yes, that's true, but there's something that must precede. There's something that must come before. There's something that must lay a foundation for the knowledge that the Holy Spirit wants to give us, and that is this thing called the fear of the Lord. So I want to look real quickly at the link between knowledge and the fear of the Lord, because this description in Isaiah isn't the only time we find it in the Bible. Um, I'm going to go through some of these scriptures kind of quickly. They'll be up on the screen. Proverbs 1.7 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Psalm 25.14 says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Proverbs 2.5, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. Proverbs 9.10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Psalm 111.10 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who do what? All who obey his commandments 
will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. See, the Bible is clear that before we can ever get knowledge, before we can ever get an understanding of what to do spiritually, before we can ever get an understanding of what God wants for our life, before we can even get an understanding of who God is, there's something that has to come first. There's something that has to precede it. There's something that has to lay a foundation, and that thing is the fear of the Lord. Now, you may be looking at that and saying, okay, well, what in the world is the fear of the Lord? You, know, you may have heard that term thrown around. You hear someone say, you know, he's a God-fearing man. Or, or it's just kind of an old-school-sounding term. You know, like when I hear that term, like I just imagine like the overweight preacher, you know, sweating with like the shirt unbuttoned, you know, with like the phlegm in his throat, you know, like speaking at some tent somewhere, you know, like the fear, ha, of the Lord, huh? you know, it's like he's always trying to clear his throat, you know what I'm talking about? Like that, that's kind of what comes into my mind when I just hear that term, the fear of the Lord. So I want to try to break this down uh, in a way that maybe we can understand it. So um, our drummer, Craig, was kind of poking fun of my shirt this morning. I don't know why. I guess he, he just didn't like my shirt that much. See, but, but here's the thing, is I had my wife help me pick out my shirt this morning because, you know, when I'm on stage, it's like I want to look good. And so I go to my wife and say, honey, I need you to help me pick out my shirt. And, and here's the thing. It's like my dr the drummer may not like the shirt. You may not like the shirt. I may not like the shirt. If I, go on a, if I go on a date, you know, with my wife, here's the thing. It's like I don't care what anyone else in the restaurant thinks how I look. I don't even care how I look. Only thing that matters to me is that my wife thinks I look good, right? Because I'm not going home with it. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm going home with my wife. She needs to think I look good more for the date to go well. Amen? And, and so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> Recover. Seamless transition. Here we go. So the fear of the Lord, it, it, see, ultimately, no one else's opinion mattered but my wife's, right? Like, it only, it, I only care about what she thinks about how I look because it doesn't matter what you think about how I look. I'm not married to you, right? And, and so here's the thing. The fear of the Lord is what happens when God's opinion becomes the only opinion that matters in your life. It's, it's the thing that happens when all of a sudden you don't, you don't care about the circumstances you're going through. You don't care about what, what you see in your natural. You don't care about what your friends think. You don't care about what your family. All of a sudden, God's opinion becomes the most important opinion in your life, and your whole life begins to shift, and your whole life begins to orient itself around that one singular focus, that I'm going to submit and I'm going to obey its God because in the end, his opinion is the only thing that matters. What he says is the only thing that matters for my life. And, and so this is what the fear of the Lord is, man. It is, it is when God is the ultimate authority in our life. Um, it was put this way, and if you want to write this down, I think, I think this is a good way to sum it up. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude of my heart that moves me to choose over and over again to obey God when it would be easier to do something else. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude in my heart that moves me to choose over and over again to obey God when it would be easier to do something else. Man, tweet that. Hashtag core church BA, hashtag church zombies, hashtag Pastor Daniels, bringing it. Good. This is why the fear of the Lord is the foundation for knowledge, because knowledge by itself does you no good. It's useless. Knowledge by itself, it puffs up. Knowledge by itself does you zero good. The power happens is when you combine knowledge with obedience. When you combine knowledge with this, this attitude of God, what you said I'm going to do. 
And the fear of the Lord happens when God becomes the ultimate authority in your life, when God becomes the only thing that matters. All of a sudden, what he says goes, regardless of the outcome of what you think might happen, regardless of whether you, it feels like the right thing, regardless of whether it's convenient, regardless of whether it's comfortable, regardless of whether or not it's something you wanted or even something that makes sense. If God tells you to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to submit and you're going to obey. Why? Because at the end of the day, his opinion is the only thing that matters. His authority is the only thing that's relevant. What he he says is the only thing ultimately that goes in your life. That is what operating in the fear of the Lord is like. Man, it's not God up there with lightning bolts and a magnifying glass, you know, going on Bruce Almighty on you, smite me, almighty smiter. God's not up there trying to squash us. At the same time, it's not some laissez-faire just kind of like, hey, God, you know, I appreciate you. You're my man. You're my homeboy. You know, that I just kind of have this respect for you. But it's this thing that says, God, you're the ultimate authority in my life because I love you, God, because of everything that you've done for me. And God, when you say something, I'm going to do it, God, because at the end of the day, God, you're the only thing that matters. You're the only opinion that matters. And so that's why I submit my life under your authority. That's what living in the fear of the Lord looks like. See, Jesus modeled this better than anyone else. We see this happen in Jesus' life at one of his most vulnerable moments. This is, this is the scripture we read earlier. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. He knows what's coming down the road. He literally knows what's laying ahead of him. And, and he's in this darkest, just kind of most desperate moment. And so we see he takes his three best friends, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain to pray with him. And like, I need you guys to have my back. I'm going through something. Man, it's getting heavy. It's getting serious. It's getting to be crunch time. Guys, I need you to pray. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 38. Jesus talking, he says, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Man, Jesus, could you be a little more dramatic here? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, the thing we need to understand about this scripture, Jesus talking, is that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Just as a side note, by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, this is one of the reasons why as Christ followers we trust Jesus, that we love Jesus, that we follow Jesus, because man, Jesus knows what we're going through. He wasn't some absent God that came down and didn't experience our suffering. Man, you want suffering? Man, Jesus experienced it. You want pain? Man, Jesus walked through that pain. You want heartache, you want betrayal, man, Jesus walked through that, man. He knows what you've gone through, your deepest, darkest hour. We're not serving some God that's absent, that's never experienced it, that's never known the sting of betrayal, that's never known the pain of heartbreak, that's never known uh, what it's like to suffer. And Jesus came, he walked in your shoes, and he walked in my shoes. 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And this scripture, what's interesting about it is we can see some of that, that, that man, some of that humanity peeking out through the skin of Jesus. He's saying, my soul's crushed to the point of grief, to, to the point of death. See, Jesus knew he had something in front of him that God told him to do. He knew he had something that he had to do. He had the cross in front of him. And that thing was something he absolutely did not want to do. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to experience the pain. He didn't want to experience the sacrifice. There was a cross in front of him, and God had told him to do something. God had given him some knowledge already. He already knew what was laying in front of him. He said, God said, son, I, got, I need you to do this. And Jesus was like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. There's no part of me that wants to walk this out because it's tough. It's painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to cost me everything. And doesn't that often sound like, the, like what we go through when we, when we have something we're staring at that we know God's called us to do, but we don't want to do it. 
but we don't want to do it, man. We stand on the fence. We look at it, and we're just like Jesus. We're like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, what, what, what's that going to cost me? What's, what, what's the ramifications of that, man? I know, God, you've called me to do this. God, I know there's knowledge you've already given me, but I don't want to do it because of the cost. I don't want to do it because of the price. Maybe, maybe for some of you this morning, you're here, and, and, and you know that you need to confess to someone that you're addicted to porn. And you don't want to do it because of the price. You don't want to do it because of the cost. Maybe for some of you, you're here, and it's someone you need to forgive. And you don't want to, you don't want to walk that. You don't want to make that phone call. You don't want to do that because of the price. You don't want to do that because of the cost, because of how uncomfortable. And maybe there's someone here that, that God's placed in your heart, and God's already told you, you need to share your faith with them. You need to, you need to invite them to church. And you're like, oh, God, but what will they think of me, God? What will they, what will they say? Will they think I'm one of those crazy Jesus people? You know, will they, will they discredit me from that? You know, what, what about that? And, and, but God's already told you to do it, but you're just like, I don't know if I can do this, God. And, and you're staring at the price. You're staring at the cost in front of you. And so in, in that moment when that happens, Jesus, what I love about Jesus, he did what I, I would do in this situation. He starts praying for options. Verse 39, he says, he went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. God, isn't, surely there's another way we can do this. Surely there's a way around this, God. Surely you can give me some new knowledge, some new perspective, some new revelation where I don't have to do the tough thing that you've asked me to do. God, isn't there a way for me to have my cake and eat it too? God, isn't there a way for me to have you and still be comfortable? God, isn't there a way for me to experience growth without discipline? God, isn't there a way for me to experience blessing without sacrifice? God, isn't there a way for me to have what I want and to have what you want at the same time? God, surely there must be a way for both of us to be happy here. God, surely there must be a way, God, if, if I could understand a little more, if I, mean, if I get my head around a little better, that I could do what you want. But at the same time, God, it won't cost me much. It won't cost me anything. I want, God, can you give me a different perspective? Can you give me different knowledge? Starts praying for options. But the thing is, all the time we start praying for options, instead of acting out what God wants us to do, we stay stuck. We stay in meh. We stay flatlined because we're just spinning our wheels trying to figure out a way around it. And all the while, God's waiting on us to do it. God's waiting on us to act. God's waiting on us to get unstuck. And he wants to give us the power of his Holy Spirit to do that, to give us a little kick in the rear and say, man, get going. Stop looking for options. Get going. Do what I've already called you to do. And so we look at what Jesus does in verse 39. He went on a little further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus submits to the will of the Father. At the end of the day, he says, God, you, you win. Lord, this isn't what I want to do. This doesn't feel good to me. God, this doesn't feel comfortable. God, I know this is going to hurt. God, I know this is going to cost me a lot. But God, ultimately, I want your will to be done. He submits to the authority. At the end of the day, God's opinion was the only opinion that mattered. We see the Spirit of the Lord resting on him, and the fear of the Lord caused him to act out the knowledge that God had already given him. The fear of the Lord caused him to step out in obedience, acting on the knowledge God had already given him. See, the fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude of my heart that moves me to choose over and over again to obey God when it would be easier to do something else. 
would have been easier for Jesus not to go on the cross. It would have been easier for him not to make the sacrifice, but the fear of the Lord caused him to obey God even when he didn't feel it, even when he didn't want to, even when it wasn't comfortable for him because at the end of the day, God's opinion was the only one that mattered. He was the ultimate authority. And see, not my will, man, that's one of the scariest prayers in the Bible. Because when we start to internalize that and we say, God, I want to start praying not my will prayers, man, it's scary because all of a sudden when we do that, it means we will say, we'll say God, I'm going to fear you more than I fear other things. See, because the thing that keeps us from acting, the, keeps, the thing that keeps us from putting God in that position, in that perspective, is because we fear other things more than we fear God. Truth be told, we fear our checkbook more than we fear God. We fear being uncomfortable more than we fear God. We fear what our friends or family or our coworkers will think of us more than we fear God. We fear missing out on that thing or not experiencing that, that whatever it is, we fear missing out more than we fear God. We fear failure. What if I step out? What if I fail? Maybe I shouldn't do that. We fear failure more than we fear God. And the fear of the Lord is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and says, God, I, I see all of those things. God, I'm not unaware of all of those things. She's like, Jesus is looking at the cross. It's like, I see the cross. But at the end of the day, God, I'm going to fear you more. God, I'm going to, I'm going to make your opinion higher than those things I see that I don't want to do. Than those steps that are hard. God, those things that, that might hurt in the meantime, God, your, your opinion matters more. And God, I'm going to fear you more than I fear those things. So for us here today, we, I, think, I think we need to examine, are, are there things in our life that, that we fear more than God? Are there things in our life that, that the consequences of that matter more than, than God's opinion? You know, it's like, I, I know I should give, but um, man, I, it's, Christmas is coming up and all this, and I, we got this giving thanks offering, but man, I don't know if I can do that because I'm more afraid of what's going to happen if, if I give my money than I'm afraid of what's going to happen when, when God, I'm disobeying God. Does that make sense? You know, that, that God, I know you've called me to share my faith with my coworker and invite them to Christmas, and, 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 but, but God, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of what they're going to think. I'm afraid of, of being ousted in my social circle at work or at school or whatever it is, and so God, that, that I'm not going to invite them. Why? Because of the fear is greater than my fear of God, than, than God's opinion. And so are there things in our life that we're afraid of more than we're afraid of walking in obedience to God? Or is there something that I know that I'm, I'm not doing or that I let die that's keeping me? I mean, is, is it Bible reading? Is, is it that, that time in prayer? Is, is it that thing that you know you're supposed to be doing, but whatever it is, you're making excuses and you just let it die. And maybe God's saying, you know, what if, what if it mattered more what I think than, than being comfortable? What if it mattered more about trusting in God's opinion than it is about being comfortable? What if, what if I, I valued God's opinion so much that it was worth me getting up 30 minutes early so I could spend some time with him? What if I valued God's opinion so much that it was worth me saying, you know, I'm going to give up time to be in the service so I can go and, and serve our children? What if, what if I valued God's opinion so much, you know, even if I have to cut out some Starbucks this week, I'm going to give in that offering? Because I valued, and, and those things maybe that, that I've let die, all of a sudden when I, when I look at them through the lens of the fear of the Lord, saying, God, how could I not do that? Because, God, you've called me to. You've called me to that life of radical obedience. Stan, why don't you go ahead and come on up, buddy.
So the thing, the thing that we have to realize is that when we hear a message like this, oftentimes we think, oh, man, this is just about, like, you know, being hard-nosed, you know, spiritual discipline. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not fun. It's not, it's not a fun message to, um, to give, um, you know, because it stinks. Even as I was preparing it, it, you know, I was looking over. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need this. And am I doing that? You know, and it's like I'm stepping on my own toes, which is which is just kind of awkward, you know, it's like, I'm just, it just hurts, you know, because you're hearing these things, you think about all the things in your life that, that you know you should be doing that you're not doing, and it can kind of get heavy, you know, it can kind of get, it's like, oh, suck, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna amount to anything spiritually, I'm never, I'm never going to do this, and here's the hope I want to give you on that, is that, is that Jesus looked at the cross, and we looked at this, and we look at all the things that we know we're supposed to do, and we're not doing, and all the things we want to do and all the things we want to be for God that we're not. And, and, and Jesus is looking at the cross. And it's easy for us to kind of look at that as the end of the story. You know, it's like, oh, Daniel's saying, okay, so if I give, and great, I gave. You know, or it's like, I served, great, I served. And, you know, it's like, or I, I read my Bible, or I, I did this thing that I know God's telling me to do that I haven't been doing. I've been walking in disobedience. Fine, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Here's the thing I want to encourage you with. The cross isn't the end of the story. The thing God's calling you to do isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the game. See, Jesus, Jesus had to endure the cross to experience the resurrection. And this is huge for you. This is huge for me. I want everyone look at it. Jesus had to endure the cross to experience the power of of the resurrection. And here's the thing, Core Church, here's the thing. Whatever step of obedience that you're looking at taking right now, whatever hard thing it is that you know that you're supposed to, that God's already given you the knowledge and you already have the knowledge, you know what you're supposed to do, but you've been holding back, you've been making excuses, you've been letting it die, you've been letting it be stuck, you've been letting it live in men, you've been letting it just kind of wither on the vine. And there's things in your life you know that you're supposed to do. That act of obedience isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning. And God wants you to walk through that step. He wants you to walk through the cross. He wants you to die to yourself. Why? Not because he wants to end your story, but because he wants to start it. He wants to write it. He wants you to experience the power of the resurrection. He wants you to experience the power of new life. And church, he doesn't want you to be a zombie anymore. He doesn't want you to be half alive anymore. He wants you to be fully alive in him and in his power. And the only way, Court church, the only way that you can experience that power, the only way that you can experience that resurrection is you have to walk through the cross. You have to go through that hard thing that's staring you in the face. So what is it, church? What is it that you've been placing higher than God? What is it that that has been so big that all of a sudden God's opinion is second, third, fourth priority in your life? Could it be this morning that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come and fill us with the fear of the Lord? Not a fear that he's going to smite us, not a fear that he wants to beat us up, but a fear that says, God, you're number one in my life. God, there is no other thing that I'm going to place higher than you. There is no other authority that's going to be greater than you, God. There's no fear, God, that's going to conquer you, God. You reign above all, God. You have first say in my life. You have second say in my life. You have third say in my life, God. What you says goes, Lord, because I fear you, God, because I want to be radically obedient to you, church. What would happen 
in our lives if we began to live with the fear of the Lord? What would happen? Imagine the things God could speak into us because he sees, man, look at you. Look at you. Look at your heart. Look how obedient my servant is. Man, look how obedient. If I tell them to do something, man, they're going to do it. They're not going to hesitate. They're going to go, and they're going to sacrifice. Man, look at the, the things God can pour into our life, church, when he sees a ready vessel. The things that he can begin to do with us when he sees people that are submitted radically.